0: Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome
1: to another episode of FedHeads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. A lot of agencies rethinking the way that they're doing financial management across government. What do you think is the driver for that, Robert?
0: It's not just financial management. It's operations altogether. There are so many tools available to us now that can make things easier and cheaper to do. And much of what organizations are trying to do is free up time and energy. People have to focus on much more important things instead of the more monotonous things that can really be automated. The President's Management Agenda calls it moving from lower value to higher value work, right? That's right. You know, eliminating stupid reports, uh, automating parts of processes that can be easily automated, those kinds of things.
1: One of the leaders that's bringing private sector best practices into the government for all those kinds of reform uh, items is Gerard Bedork. He's the Chief Financial Officer of the General Services Administration. It's great to see you, my friend. Welcome back. Thank you, Francis. Well, not welcome back to the podcast, because right. you've never been on before,
0: but we've I've yeah. Had, yeah, I think we had a had fortune few to talk right? to you a couple yes, of times absolutely. before thank in the past, you. so it's great to see you. What thank you for deigning us with your presence. <laughs> I know you're a big Government, man, government Matters star. Um, that's yes, Francis. Uh, is, so that's
1: a shot on the television show, uh, <laughs> right out of the gate. Well, that was a compliment. That uh-huh. was a
0: compliment. It sounded Sounded Uh like you really meant
1: it. Um, What was your... Motivation to come into government after a long career yeah. in the private sector.
2: So I had a wonderful career in the private sector with, with very interesting uh, jobs, MCI communications, uh, Xerox services, some other public and private companies. But And I thought I'd done a lot, but when I stepped back and looked at what I had done with my life and career, I felt like something was missing. And uh, the opportunity at GSA was to come in and work at a government agency and do public service. And I thought that's really something I wanted to do. And I thought that uh, given what I knew about the GSA CFO organization, I had an opportunity to come in and apply some of the things that I learned uh, in the private sector and there was a real bias towards getting results and uh, doing a transformation and, and that excited me and I had done it in the private sector. so. Uh, so it was uh, a very appealing opportunity.
1: Before we get to what you're doing, how did they find you? Because it strikes me that's maybe one of the biggest challenges for the government, to find people who have a lot of private sector experience and wanna do what you yeah. wanted to do.
2: Yeah, the, the, um, it was through uh, a recruiting uh, effort, and they, um, they made the application process very simple. And, and I'll just tell you that, that I first talked to them in October, and I had the offer by early December. So, they can move quickly
0: if they need to move quickly. That's an aberration. That's unusual in government. I I just saw numbers that the OPM set the hiring. the goal at uh, eighty days, so yeah. that sounds like uh, you did pretty good.
2: Yeah, and they they had the streamlined application process. Uh, I did not have to do uh, fifteen pages uh, uh, of my background, but I, I did provide some information. They actually put me through some case studies and how would you address this and that. So I actually had to provide some thinking to them about uh, solving some of GSA's problems. But it all moved pretty quickly.
0: So what surprised you most when you arrived at GSA? When what year was that?
2: Uh, I arrived. Uh, January of 2015, and what and,
0: surprised you most? Uh,
2: the um, certainly some very very good employees that were motivated and committed. So some of the generalizations you hear about government employees are not true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had some uh, smart employees at the agency. Uh, I think the the thing that that uh, that I learned was uh, that if you're ambitious and want to take a level of risk you can be heavily penalized in federal government. But as a leader, then you need to decide how you can inspire organizations to be aggressive and set uh, high goals. And, and I, I think that was uh, the ex- one of the exciting things uh, for me. But I uh, also, uh, there there were a lot of things that I was told that you couldn't do. But when you really looked at it, what it would take to make something happen, it, it as long as it wasn't a government regulation, you could move a person or, or take an action and have it done in days rather than weeks and months.
0: Can we pull that thread a little bit? Is there a specific example you can talk about where you just, you wouldn't take no for an answer?
2: I wanted to make a move with an SES person and I wanted to um, announce it in two days. And uh, I was told that the process was that, you know, allow 15 days for this, and and we don't think it can be approved for 28 days, five days for the administrator to sign it, uh, all of that. So I just went through the process, and, and something like the administrator's signature, I said, well, they're very interested in me making changes quickly here, so when the paperwork's ready, I'll walk over and get it signed. And and so it happened in in three to four days, but we uh, they allowed time to consult with the person making the move. Well, I did that in a day.
0: It it could be one of the most valuable lessons we've heard on the podcast, which is keep asking when you're told no. Well, why? Mm -hmm. Why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. Is there a better way? Yeah, And Um, and there are a lot of things that a lot of barriers that can be dissolved when you ask someone to clarify the basis for their. And no.
2: you're, you're exactly right, because, um, I mean, I had uh, leadership there that was very helpful to me in, in moving things forward, but uh, many times uh, someone would show you the government card, which is, this is the way you should work in government, and you just have to challenge that and find out whether uh, it has to work that way, or it's just a matter of of creating a, a bias towards action, a sense of urgency. and. Uh, uh let's go uh make this happen uh right away
1: that's the major difference i guess between it has to work that way and that the subtext is some legal or uh, policy reason and we've always done it this way which is just habitual and you don't feel like trying to change
2: right and the cfo is a nice level because you come in with a level of authority and influence that you can make things happen if it was down a level or two uh, you, you know, you would run into a little turbulence. But, but you know, as a leader, when you can work with other CXOs and they can work things out, then they're going to come to you with uh, some things that they want to expedite and you return the favor, right? And, and the private sector's like that. And, and so I, uh, you know, when, when someone um, expedites something for me, I, I tell them uh, I owe you a favor, right? So
1: speaking of doing things, you have an agenda, a reform agenda, inside the CFO's office, even though you've been there for about five years. What are the big priority items that you're moving right now?
2: Uh, Well, the big one is uh, is RPA and automation. But we've done uh, a lot, and a lot happened uh, right away when I came into the office. Uh, The organization had thought about how to restructure and inherited a bunch of Uh, over 400 individuals from the regions and and thought about the org structure. And I was able to come up with a structure in about four weeks that that worked for the organization and then had to refine the the regional structure. But uh, the number of audit findings we wanted to reduce, uh, we wanted to move financial operations to uh, USDA, which we did in in my first three months there. we cared about uh, employee engagement, but also the operational results of the organization. So uh, many of the operational results are, are way better than uh, they were at that time. Um, last year, uh, we had no significant deficiencies, no material weaknesses in our audit. Uh, in, in 2014. Clap Who
0: performed that audit, by the way? Um, not, not Grant Thornton. Okay. okay. Yeah. okay. That's uh, right. No, that's yeah. good. Uh,
2: it was, But it was a, a major firm. Um <laughs> I was getting more at the point yeah, that I <laughs> made than anything else. Uh, I think there's 79 audit findings when I when I came in. So wow. we're down to eight or nine, uh, and, and n- none of them are in the significant area. Uh, employee we should
0: have, like, baseball cards yeah. for CFOs. <laughs> right. The stats, stats on, on the, the back of
1: them, uh-huh. material um, weaknesses reduced, findings reduced. Yeah. But how many? I would have to trade you how many to get <laughs> a car, a one, one <laughs> card of Gerard. A lot. I would have a to have a whole stack of yeah. them.
2: Uh, the regional organization was interesting because, uh, as you may know, GSA has... 11 geographic regions and we had pulled over the regional CFOs and the CFO organization and so they all had the same responsibilities but different ways to get there so uh, uh, I uh, about after about eight or nine months announced a reorganization into four zones, uh, re-competed roughly 300 positions, uh, reset the, the top three levels of management Um, actually achieved efficiencies. At one time the organization had 905 people uh, staff. Uh, We moved 200 to USDA. Uh, We're down about 540 now. So, so significant level of efficiencies, improvement of performance, uh, engagement scores. The organization, uh, it took a little bit of time to do that, but but they uh, uh, because I put pre- we put pressure on them to perform, and it was fewer resources, but uh, the employees and management team came through. Uh, engagement is up from sixty six percent to eighty two percent. Satisfaction is eighty one percent. We're out of the top four hundred twenty. P- best places to work for partnership public service were number 23 so it, it's been uh, it's worked out very well in terms of employees the audit efficiencies operational performance and um, the other thing that's a bit different is, is stretch goals or home runs and uh, that's a philosophy where I want the organization to be very ambitious and uh, those are goals that I would not put in a performance plan because if you think about some of the things that I described that we did, you wouldn't put that on a performance plan. You're not sure you can do that. But
0: Too ambitious.
2: Too ambitious. But but the organization has to have very ambitious goals in sight. And you can't say, well, if you don't make all of them, you're a poor performer, right? But but if you make, and that's why I liken it to home runs, if you make two or three or four, that's wonderful. And and some of them are are or off the wall new budget system in a year, right? Really can't do that. But if the organization has something like that in mind, uh they're gonna be thinking about big things, ambitious things and, and that's uh, uh that really helps you elevate the value being created by the organization and what they do.
0: So RPA is one of the most heralded tools that you've applied at GSA, but it's being applied elsewhere. Talk about your RPA journey how it was applied in your organization, but how you've driven it across GSA.
2: Yeah, so I thought we were a late starter because I, I, I saw the demos and and and, and or agencies talking about RPA and just made a decision that uh, I need to get this going. Appointed a champion, set a goal of first one in production in 100 days. It, we didn't make that goal. It took us 120, but you know that, that's okay. Right, and, and so. Um, we, uh,
0: reinforces I, the importance of the goal because if you didn't set 100 days, it would have been 220 days. Or exactly, a year, a, right? and
2: I I had no idea whether 100 was reasonable. It was a, a, a 30 second goal, and yeah. uh, but I wanted the organization to be ambitious, and th- they took the challenge and figured it out. So. Um, so we uh, What was the process? Started, uh, what was the? the process was uh, chargebacks that we were monitoring uh, from other agencies. I see. And and it was a reporting challenge, and it took someone about a week, and we only did the report once a month, and we can now do it every day and understand where we are, what's hmm. going on. Uh, so, you know, one of the keys is, is, is not to pick something that's too complicated, sophisticated, learn what it takes to do this. Uh, the way we started was with... Um, uh, a champion and part-time employees. So we uh, took a person that was in our Six Sigma group, said you're the process expert. Uh, we offered training in the software to uh, our employees, 50 volunteered, we, ta- we trained 12, and they worked in applications part-time for the first year. Uh, our, our second application was for the public building services, which is a business unit at GSA. So we, uh, today we're at 40 automations, Uh, a little over 80,000 hours of capacity created.
0: Just in the CFO organization? Uh,
2: Well, the CFO organization is doing them across GSA. I see. So we want to help other CXOs and the business units to implement RPA. And the model that we've set up, so six of those developers have come on on a full-time basis. Uh, We actually have a little sales and marketing team, and it's much like uh, you go in, explain RPA to... The HR organization, uh, you help them think about use cases. Uh, Once you pick a use case, you do a basic documentation, they sign a sales order. The sales order is for us to go build the automation. And so we work hand in hand with them, but that's when we turn it from the sales marketing team over to the the factory. And the factory are the developers that go in and do the detailed documentation. Uh, Also, as part of this, we do uh, process optimization. So we want to build uh, a bot that reflects the best process uh, that we can follow. So one of the things that came up initially is is we got uh, some ideas from a region within GSA to go build an automation. And the regions all do the same thing. So one of the requirements I have is we don't build them for just one region. We build them uh, to be applied on a national basis, which requires the 11 regions to agree on the process if you didn't have rpa and you had 11 different processes and tried to evaluate them it would be difficult but if you can do something like rpa which might be 20 30 percent automation 40 percent automation and say we're going to apply that to a new process that you help us design mm-hmm. then everyone is interested you get buy-in you, you get buy-in, uh, you get a better process, uh, you know, b- better controls. Uh, it is a big process improvement opportunity. Uh, when you sell it, it you, uh, uh, employees want to get rid of the, the lower value work that they have to do because you hire them at a level where they have to think about leases and other things and they have to go gather data and things like that. So you're taking that work away from them. So they're, they're excited about it and um, they're part of the process. And, and so it frees up uh, frees up their capacity, and uh, and then once we develop it, they're part of the testing. And uh, so it, it, it's like a shared services offering across uh, across GSA to deliver, to both sell the concept of RPA, to go in and help you document and improve your process, and then to build an automation. And and, and uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of HSSOs are excited about that.
1: We're starting to run out of time, Gerard, but I want to go back to what you talked about about the management changes that you made, the structural changes. Yeah. Cause that's a lot of cultural disruption, and you talked about the success that you see now in better engagement, better numbers, and those kinds of things. How did you do that change management early on, though, to point out to people to get them to buy into the idea yeah. that you might not even work here, you might work someplace right. else, but your job is going to be better yeah. On, on the back
2: end. So uh, a really good question, because the organizational changes is in the private sector, uh, the leaders of organizations decide how they're going to be structured, and they announce the organization. Uh, and In the public sector, there's an effort to have everyone weigh in on the structure to understand what it's going to be. And, and quite frankly, there are not... Uh, uh, th- there are not too many employees that have been CFOs in the organization or even outside the organization, so I knew what would work best. I knew that we had different processes across the 11 regions that needed to be standardized, so when we, when we did the zones, we now had three regions that the leader of that zone was able to see that things were being done differently in three regions. So they uh, they adopted the standardization. They standardized the processes, and we created the same four functions in each zone. So they were part of the standardization, but I can tell you that, that you know, if the buy-in was 20%, if it's the right thing to do, uh, y- as a leader, you got to say, we are doing this. But then the buy-in comes when you let them be part of how the change happens.
0: So you're about five years in to yes. your uh, position. Yeah. Talk is going on about... Amending the CFO Act—that's legislation that created your position—are there common changes across the CFOs that you recommend be memorialized in amendments to the act?
2: You know, I, I getting back to the whole whole risk uh, areas. So I, it, it, it's philosophical um, uh, areas, but low uh, the amount of effort that we spend on low value compliance activities needs to be rectified because in the private sector uh, I would think about okay do I want someone auditing every line item of your expense report or would I rather go hire salespeople or product development people and, and in the public sector there's a high cost on low value compliance so that, that's one of my, uh, my areas that, that I think that we could uh, uh, really afford to take a little bit of risk uh and and not have hundred percent compliance and everything because that una- enables you to invest in, in other areas that are gonna be better for taxpayers.
1: Gerard it's great to talk to you. Um it's wonderful to hear the success that you're having with GSA and it's good to see you as always.
2: It's it's uh I, I really have enjoyed what I've been able to do in five years and and, and the RPA effort is uh, a community of practice where we're pulling agencies together across the federal government to solve some of the common challenges because a lot of agencies are stuck they have the one or two pilots uh so we're trying to solve the challenges and we're also trying to mentor other agencies and it's not just gsa mentoring it is we're bringing agencies in that are leaders and we're holding uh workshops and we're doing some mentoring and we've published a playbook and and we're helping uh Helping to establish teamwork uh, across the federal government to move forward in RPA and also to adopt some common solutions And and, uh, standards uh, for the implementation. So it's been uh, for me. It's been very rewarding uh, lots of uh, fun I uh, enjoy uh, coming into work and working with my team and staff and and every day uh, you know I'm fighting a little bit of bureaucracy but but it is uh, it's just uh, wonderful for for me to see the things that they're able to do and how we can move the ball ball and creating more value.
0: Congratulations on those results and thanks for your service. Yeah thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fed Heads brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector.